You're listening to Southern Fried Sports with Travis Ryer on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. This is Southern Fried Sports with Bama Online Senior Analyst Travis Ryer on your home for Alabama sports, Tide 100.9, and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Sports on your home for University of Alabama Athletics Tide 100.9 FM. Travis Ryer, senior analyst for BamaOnline.com, with you each and every weekday morning from 11 a.m. until noon. The show, as always, brought to you by Peter Brook Chocolatier, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North. It is July 1. As we told you yesterday, that means on Wednesdays, every Wednesday in the month of July, it is a gelato Wednesday at Peterbrook Chocolatier. And that means no purchase necessary, although I'm sure they would be extremely grateful if you did make a purchase, but no purchase necessary on Wednesdays in July, you get a free scoop of that outstanding gelato there at Peterbrook Chocolatier, the Italian ice cream. Gelato is Italian for bluebell. I'm pretty, pretty much convinced of that. Joined on the program by the executive producer of Southern Fried Sports, Jacob Harrison, and together we combine to form the 60 bit of boo of Sports Talk Radio. Jacob's a big gamer, if you didn't know that. And it looks like at this point, Jacob, uh, where the Alabama football team is concerned, it is with the gaming industry where we're seeing the initial effects of name, image, and likeness day on this Thursday. Am I correct on that? Yeah, we got uh, Treshawn Holden was the first guy in, and Evan Neal and uh, DeMarco Helms, Chris Allen are going to join him over at Yoke Gaming. And over there you get to play along with them, not just watch them. So maybe even a better idea than Twitch. But, I mean, look out for Twitch. Twitch is going to be one of the best friends of these student-athletes. Uh, especially those that can't sign the big deals. You're going to be able to make a lot of money for yourself just playing, you know, Warzone or something for two hours a day. Wow. You know, coaches love that. But, you know, look, players, student athletes, they got to have a time to decompress as well. Uh, I'm guessing, though, that they won't be playing at the facility over off Bryant Drive. So it's a whole Pandora. It's a whole huge different era now of collegiate athletics no doubt about that it is here bo nix bo nix got him a sweet tea deal how about that good for bo nix the auburn quarterback if bo nix is doing regional sweet tea i gotta think bryce young can get coca-cola or something i mean if that's the way this is gonna play out with the beverages but again the gaming companies look to be very popular you're gonna have to follow the followers on this 
know, if you're thinking it's going to be about the best, maybe players and athletes out there, just solely based on what you know about these young people, you might be surprised. I mean, you got some student athletes out there like Olivia Dunn of LSU, a gymnast for the Tigers. She has 1.1 million Instagram followers, and I think that's just a fraction of what she's got on TikTok. So some of these student athletes that you've never heard of before are going to do especially well with name, image, and likeness. You got the twin sisters out there at Fresno State on the basketball court. Haley and Hannah Cavendier, wildly popular when it comes to the gram and other social media outlets. They were one of the first uh, to hit the NIL jackpot overnight, appearing in some live segments uh, in Times Square up in New York City. And, you know, look, I talked about some of these people, some of these student athletes aren't necessarily going to be the best at what they do in their respective sports, but you can't say that about the Cavendier, Cavender twins of Fresno State. Haley and Hannah, last season, combined to average 37 points, 38 points per game for the Bulldogs of Fresno State. In fact, Haley was the big uh, Mountain West player of the year on the women's side out there uh, in the MWC. So a lot to get into still where name, image, and likeness is concerned. You know, as good as these deals are for these young people, they still don't have as good a deal as Bobby Bonilla, the former big leaguer. The Pirates and the Mets, primarily. Bobby Bonilla Day today as he collects that latest $1.2 million check that he gets from the Mets on an annual basis. I believe he's still got, by the way, 14 years left of that deal. Not bad, huh? How long has Bobby Bonilla been retired? 10 years now? Mets still paying. Mets are still paying Bobby Bonilla. So a pretty good day, pretty good July 1st. For Bobby Bonilla as well. We're going to check in with Chris Hummer coming up in our next segment. Between all of that, though, we've got time for you certainly at 205-342-9904. If you'd like to jump on board, we would love to hear from you. You heard from Jacob Harrison in our news update at the top of the hour. Transfer portal talk where it relates to the University of Alabama. Third-year linebacker King Wakuda. Latest from the football side of things at Alabama to enter the portal. Was thinking about that this morning, just that position in general. Since really the end of the 2020 season and even before that, because I think Kevin Harris had even committed to Georgia Tech before the season was even over. So going back to the latter stages of last season, You've now had four Alabama outside linebackers enter the transfer portal. And that tells you as much as anything how well Alabama has recruited these last two cycles specifically at OLB. Now, they've recruited lights out pretty much across the board. But you talk about Kevin Harris. uh, You've had Ben Davis hit the portal. Now you've had King Wakuda. Jerez Parks has left the program, apparently. That's four outside linebackers. And you consider what you got at the very top of the depth chart on the edge. You're talking about Will Anderson. Got two more years in the program. You got Christopher Allen 
heading into a contract year. But even beyond those two starters that you bring back, Drew Sanders was a guy as a true freshman who actually was ahead of King Wakuda on the depth chart a year ago. You saw in the spring game Chris Braswell do some very nice things as an edge pass rusher. Uh, you've got some other guys at outside linebacker that you continue to develop, like a Q Robinson. And then this latest class that you brought in, uh, Keanu Coote is a early enrollee that you saw in the spring game back in April, and Dallas Turner, a five-star, that made his way to the capstone here in the last month or so. So still a lot of talent and a lot of guys that are going to push for playing time during the very early stages of their Alabama careers. I think King Wakuda can help a lot of teams. I think King Wakuda within the Southeastern Conference and not just at a place like a, I don't know, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, whatever. I think top half of the SEC, King Wakuda can be a very solid player for an SEC, a Power 5 type program of note. So it'll be interesting to see where King lands. Um, Also, you know, you look at inside linebacker and you've got some cross-training ability there. You add Henry Toa Toa at inside linebacker. Doesn't mean that you're going to see him out on the edge, I don't think. But, you know, in certain situations, if you want to keep Toa Toa and Christian Harris on the field together, maybe like your dime rabbits, Christian Harris can kick out do some of those things on the outside. And you're still going to have Jalen Moody at inside linebacker. So depth in general at the linebacker levels leaves me unsurprised by the latest news that King Wakuda has entered the transfer portal. Now, from the basketball perspective, yesterday we learned that Josh Primo will, in fact, remain in the 2021 NBA draft. Josh Primo, a one-and-done under Nate Oates. That stock continued to rise throughout the draft process. Most recently, a very strong showing at the NBA Draft Combine. It just seemed like with every passing workout or every mile marker in the draft process, the likelihood of Josh Primo returning to Alabama became less and less Now, maybe a little bit surprising is the fact that Jaden Shackelford has not only remained in the draft process, but he has now put himself in the transfer portal. Been a big, big part of these first two teams of the Nate Oates era. Kind of a streaky guy, kind of a streaky scorer, uh, but gives you that three-point presence. And so we'll see what happens with Jaden Shackelford, but if he is, in fact, on the move, Remember how much we talked about, man, how's Alabama going to make these scholarship numbers work? Well, if Jaden Shackelford moves on now, along with Primo, NATO's going to have a scholarship to give here late as we get into the summer months and approaching the fall semester. So ever-changing rosters with Jaden Shackelford perhaps moving on from UA. And at the guard position, you know, with Primo, with Shackelford moving on, Uh, You take comfort in knowing you bring back a guy like Keon Ellis, who Keon Ellis and Jawan Gary, if you really paid attention late in the 2020-2021 season, the NCAA tournament, those were guys that you saw on the floor when games were on the line. Didn't start necessarily, but when the game was on the line, 
Keon Ellis played a lot of basketball. So you now you consider Keon Ellis with J.D. Davison, the uh, you know five-star point guard that has joined the program, Javon Quinterly. If I have a concern looking at those three guys primarily is can you get enough three-point efficiency out of those three guys? Because we know that's part and parcel with what Alabama is as a basketball team. They are going to shoot the three. Quinterly improved throughout last season. By the end of the season, he was probably the guy you wanted the most, taking a three-point shot. So you feel good about him. That's an area where Ellis needs to continue to come on in terms of consistency. And it's one of the unknowns, one of the very few, one of the very few, maybe the only unknown with J.D. Davison. Will he be a quality three-point shooter from the outset of his perhaps very brief Alabama career? 205-342-9904. Let's head to the Peterbrook Chocolatier studio line right now and check in with Donald on a Thursday. Donald, how you doing? Uh, good morning, Travis. How you doing? I'm good, sir. It's been a long time. It's been a very long time since I've had to We missed you. To you. Yeah. And I hope things are going well for you. Um, you know, we're talking about this basketball situation. Uh, so that leaves open one spot on the roster. They've got 12 players now, so they can add one more, I guess. And I'm going to throw a name out there if it see what is thought about it. There's a kid from uh, Minnesota named Marcus Carr who just took his name out of the draft here, either today or yesterday, one. And uh, he's also in the transfer portal from Minnesota. And anyway, I was looking at his numbers and everything. He averaged 19 points a game. It started at Pittsburgh and then played two years at Minnesota. So I guess, yeah, I don't know if he'll be a grad transfer or not. I don't know. But anyway, uh, I was just wondering if they might try to go after him to fill the spot vacated by Shackelford. And uh, because I don't, you know, I've heard things about Shackelford going back out west or something like that. And uh, but also, uh, you know, this transfer portal, the thing about it is people, you can't tell me that these people aren't talking to these players, you know, even if they're in or out of the portal. Sure, they people are. are talking to them all the time, and uh, you know it's just kind of bad when you can't uh, when you sign a kid, and uh, you know they can't, you know you have to literally re-recruit these kids every year. It seems like, and I'm just wondering how long that's going to be allowed to go on because I mean it's going to hurt college basketball. I'm using that as an example. It's going to hurt college basketball in general because. You know, these coaches come in and sign these players and expect these players to be around for one to three years or whatever, and the next thing you know, they're gone. So it's kind of a bad situation, And uh, but the thing about it is it is the Wild West, and uh, mm-hmm. this is uh, this is getting a little bit on the ridiculous side because last I heard there was twelve to 1,500 players in the transfer portal in different sports, and where are these kids going to land to play? There's only so many spots, so. Uh, I don't know. It's just kind of frustrating, but uh, you can't tell me that people weren't talking to Shackelford about whatever, leaving Alabama. Why would he leave a team that potentially could be a national championship contender and go elsewhere? It just blows my mind, but uh, that's the age we're living in, I guess. But just tell me what you think. Yeah, you know, you mentioned Marcus Carr, and I see here, and I have no intel on this, but in just piggybacking – uh, your question about him, 
as you said, started at Pittsburgh, transferred to Minnesota. He's also a Canadian. So maybe you go Canadian for Canadian with Marcus Carr and Josh Primo. He is originally from Toronto. And again, we know the prowess that Alabama has shown in recent years when it comes to recruiting north of the border. Um, As far as communication between schools or school reps and players, student athletes and their representation, the paste is out of the tube and has been really since the advent of the transfer portal, really probably even pre-transfer portal, just in terms of guys and gals looking to make moves. So I don't think we're going to be able to roll that back, but with the one-time transfer rule now to go along with the portal, to go along with uh, name, image, and likeness, yeah, it's just an entirely different era of collegiate athletics. I think from the fan perspective, it's going to make it less enjoyable because one of the things fans have been able to count on throughout the years is that, especially in football, you are going to be able to uh, attach yourself to players that you pretty much figured were going to be there again, three years minimum, four or five years in all likelihood in most cases. So those days are done. Uh, It's going to get tougher and tougher, I think, for fans to emotionally invest uh, in in players. But at the end of the day, you know, it's a limited shelf life for these guys and gals at the college level, too. It's still going to be fans will learn to adjust and adapt like everyone else, and they'll still make it about the name on the front of the jersey far more than they will about the names on the back. Well, I believe that, uh, you know, I I don't know exactly what these losses will mean for Alabama. I still think Alabama's going to be a very good basketball team next year. But Mm -hmm. you mentioned Keon Ellis. You know, he's obviously he's got to step up even more so now. But he did show the ability to last year to uh, step up in crucial situations because there were a couple of games there uh, down the stretch. I think most notably one I can recall is South Carolina where there was a stretch in that game where South Carolina would claw, took the game, the deficit there, I think, back to like three points or something like that. And Ellis just steps back and hits a three that turned out to be a dagger in that game. So, now he has shown the ability to step up in, in clutch time and make big shots. So, that's something definitely to build on. And uh, but like, like you said, they're going to be asking a lot more of him. But he's shown the ability to be able to handle that. He's a good defender. And uh, he's a good ball handler, and uh, he's got a good shot. So, uh, but they're going to ask a lot of uh, players that they, you know didn't play a lot. You mentioned Jawan Gary; he's going to be another one that's going to have to be a leader mm-hmm. on this team next year. But the thing is, though, they've got a winning mentality there. They've got a winning culture there that they've cultivated over the last year. And I think you're going to see the results of the fruits of that going into next season. I don't think there's any doubt about that donald we appreciate the call as always have a great rest of your thursday you You have a great one my friends well thank you there he goes yeah i thought at the end of last season if there were four guards that nate oates trusted the most herb jones john petty javon quinterly and maybe it was keon ellis in that fourth spot ahead of Jaden shackleford again regardless of how the starting lineup looked when it came down to it, when that team needed it the most, 
I think those were the four guards that Oates felt best about. 205-342-9904. Big, big Wednesday nights for Mississippi State Athletics. And also the Phoenix Suns. Phoenix Suns coming out of the Western Conference to advance to the NBA Finals. Winning in L.A., but not against the Lakers. Taking care of the Clippers in Game 6 of those Western Conference Finals. Suns set to take on the winner of the Milwaukee-Atlanta Eastern Conference Finals. That one still, as we know, locked up, still going on, moving to moving back to Milwaukee with that one. But how about the Suns? Chris Paul, Devin Booker. Pretty good team. Pretty good young team, too, in a lot of ways. Hard not to be happy for Mississippi State. First team national championship in school history. And I know you can tell me about disc golf or something on the club intramural level 30, 40 years ago. Come on. First team sanctioned team national championship for Mississippi State as the bullies did exactly that to the mighty Vanderbilt Commodores winning the final two games of that championship series by a combined score of 22 to two Bulldogs got after Kamar Rocker. We talked about that yesterday. Wondered about Kamar coming off four days rest instead of his typical time frame that he gets during the season. Didn't really have it. Walk still a problem for Vanderbilt for a second straight game and defensively. Vanderbilt was just an absolute dumpster fire down the stretch of the College World Series. And look, if you're going to hit a buck 80 in the College World Series, you did a hell of a job to make it to the if Ness game in the championship series. That was Vanderbilt in the College World Series, hit a buck 80, and still made it to the final game of the 2021 college baseball season. We're going to step aside for a break. When we come back, we'll check in with Chris Hummer, the college football professor, as we've anointed him here on the program. We'll talk college football with Chris and a whole lot more when Southern Fried Sports returns right after this. Alabama football countdown clock is driven by Crawford Insurance, Tuscaloosa's low-cost auto insurer. Call 752-6489 for a free quote today. There are there are there are 65 days until Alabama football. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A warm, humid afternoon. Scattered showers and thunderstorms around through tonight. The high today, 88. The low tonight, 70. Tomorrow, cloudy. Periods of rain likely. Maybe a thunderstorm. The high, 81. Saturday, partly to mostly sunny and less humid. The high, 85. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 80 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Tide 100.9. For more coverage of Alabama football, visit us at Tide100.9.com or download the free Tide 100.9 app. The Crimson Tide will not be denied.
edition of Southern Fried Sports right here on Tide 100.9 FM. Travis Ryder, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com with you. I'm Ned to the Peterbrook Chocolatier Studio Line. Check in with a good pal, the college football professor, Chris Hummer, National College Football Writer for 247sports.com. And we've been talking about this day, been previewing this day, Chris Hummer, for months, it seems, and I'm feeling, to this point, I'm feeling a little unfulfilled, Chris Hummer. Where's the Mercedes deals? Where's the Coca-Cola deals? I feel like I was promised something that, to this point anyway, hasn't been delivered upon, Chris. Yeah, I was I was expecting a lot more briefcases and free cars <laughs> and everything else. Like, that's, what, that's what we've been long been told, but... I think this is probably pretty normal. A lot of states, um, I think there were only like seven or eight that had NIL bills set to launch in July 1. It might have increased in the last 24 hours. It might We might be up to close to 10. But 40 other states like either did not have bills in place or they were in the process of putting them out. So these schools have had to scramble to create their own NIL policies which means the players have been kind of operating in a gray area as well, not knowing what they can go forward with. Um, so like a state like North Carolina hadn't passed its NIL bill yet, and a player like Sam Howe, who is among the elite players in college football, somebody I fully expect to monetize on his NIL, like hasn't really been able to plan for what he can do yet to this point. So I think we'll see more big deals coming later in the day. Like I can think of several that are probably going to be on the horizon and um, we're only going to see this continue as the weeks go on. But I, I think this is going to always just be more of a grassroots thing anyway. It's never, it's like 0.01% of players who are going to have those big Mercedes deals as you talked about. So I just think people probably need to keep their expectations, I guess, with that in check. Now you had a report here in the last few days about some players at the university of Texas, speaking of grassroots deals, Sounds like that's what's in play or has been in effect or materializing for some of those guys out at UT. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I know the guys over at Last Stand Hats, which is a company that's licensed to make gear for Texas, Texas State, Texas Tech, uh, a couple other schools in the state. And they're based out of Austin. So for about, I think there was an exclusive negotiating window in Texas for about two weeks where those businesses could start talking to players and they struck a deal with two starting defensive backs to Marion Overshawn and Josh Thompson to have their own essentially apparel brand with last 10 hats. And they signed those deals. I think right as the clock struck midnight last night and last night announced them, but it's a, it's a really interesting process. And I, I think, as you said, those grassroots deals are really going to be where you see a lot of NIL happen because they benefit the athlete, they help grow their brand, they can make some money potentially, but it also really helps these smaller businesses in these communities where people are passionate about football. It just gets eyeballs on them specifically, targeted advertising essentially for people who are willing to buy those things. And I think that's where we'll see a lot of the partnerships. Yeah, demographics, obviously a big part of all this. And it seems like gaming is front and central in all of this so far. Yeah, I was I was a little jealous of the company. I'm forgetting offhand what it was called of that idea because I've thought for a long time, uh, even for 24/7 Sports, a really smart kind of way to have content would be to play video games with athletes. I know a lot of coaches do that already. 
um, to kind of connect with them on the recruiting trail. They'll just hop on Xbox or hop on PlayStation, play a game of Madden with them as a way to kind of uh, sell their school and just kind of build a bond. And it's really smart. Like a gaming as you gaming is blowing up like Twitch, things like that. People spend hours watching people play video games and the ability to play video games, with their favorite athletes going to be something that's really, really intriguing for a lot of people, not just kids. I think we all think of kids, but I think there's a lot of adults that probably want to play Xbox with uh, Bryce Young. I, I don't think Bryce Young's on that platform or anything like that, but I, I think that has the ability to really take off. How about the NC2A with the 5 o'clock news dump on Wednesday? Just getting under the <laughs> wire before all this went down, Chris. If I was a, if I was a better person, I would have made a joke because I think they released the <laughs> press release at 4.20 on the day before their test, essentially, which is the most college thing possible. So, But yeah, I think it's it's in lockstep with the NCAA. Um, California, I believe, passed their bill in 2019 or 20 early 2020 saying they had till 2023 the ncaa has had years to give players back their name image and likeness and instead they uh slipped something in at the last minute that really has not been a helpful solution to a lot of administrators i would say i think a lot of administrators have been scrambling over the last couple of months to kind of fill the gap that the ncaa has left and what we're left with is some really broad guidelines that's going to create a lot of chaos nationally um they're yeah. very in the little way of structure we talk about gaming and video games um, in a semi-serious nature, but if you go back to the EA case years ago, was that pretty much the origins for a lot of how this has been pushed forward with NIL? Yeah, I really think so. Um, I think that case, which went to the Supreme Court, which went to the court, ended up a law kind of opened the doors for athletes to kind of push forward with things like the Austin case of the Supreme Court. And I think if the NCAA would have backed down on group licensing even back then in like um, 2012 when O'Bannon went to trial uh, for that and that trial and lawsuit obviously stretched well into the mid-2000s, um, I think the NCAA would have been in a much better position today to control how this is going to go forward. Um, the NCAA would have had the power to set the parameters of these rules. And I think back then, the NCAA, even in the midst of that lawsuit, would have been viewed as a progressive entity that was ready to make a change and do what's right for student-athletes. And instead, it looks like the NCAA has been backed into a corner and is just essentially allowing this because they have to. And they don't control anything moving forward because of so many kind of things hanging over their head from an antitrust standpoint from the Department of Justice and also the Supreme Court ruling with Alston. So the NCAA is kind of at the mercy of Congress to kind of pass a bill, and they're they're not going to have any say on how that goes forward. So the NCAA could have solved a lot of things for itself by being a little more liberal with its policies back when the O'Bannon case was going through the courts. We talk about controlling the situation now from the institutional level, and we've seen sort of standards and rules, I guess you could say, institution by institution, athletic department by athletic department. We've seen it from Alabama and others that have been issued here in recent days. But even within the individual sports, do you anticipate it being handled differently by the different coaches in an athletic department? For example, you think Nick Saban is sitting down with his players and saying, these are the athletic department rules, but as a football team, because he has to consider the team dynamic and and everything that that coaches hold 
you know, uh, dear to, to team building. Uh, do you think some of that's going on as well? I think it's situational. I think somebody like Nick Saban has the power and the cachet to maybe do that with his players, but I don't, I don't really think that's the case across the country. Um, I certainly think coaches would love to try. Dabo Sweeney's had a long time kind of social media blackout during the season. And I, I don't think he has any way to kind of maintain that moving forward, even if he'd really like to, I think the sport is kind of changing. The sport is changing as right in front of our eyes and coaches and administrators lost a margin of power today. Um, they, for a long time, held a power position in these conversations with athletes. They made millions of dollars while the athletes were kind of there uh, at their behest, essentially. Their scholarships were there, but even those scholarships can be technically taken away. So I, I really think it'll be interesting to follow what sports kind of push forward with that and what sports are and what teams are a little more um, – conservative with their views of these laws. Cause I, I just think a coach is going to have a really difficult time in this era to tell a student athlete, no, you can't do something that the school allows. If that makes sense. I just, I think that's a really difficult kind of hill to stand on a really difficult position to take. Unless you're somebody like Nick Saban who has that kind of sway. On the heels of his comments from a couple of years ago, you interested to hear from Dabo who, again, a couple of years ago said that if it got to the point where players were going to be compensated, he might consider getting out of college coach. Yeah, I would love to hear from Dabo. And I, he's lost that back a couple of times. And I actually think to be fair to Dabo, and if I remember correctly, the context of that was pay for play. So essentially the university compensating yeah. athletes, I think right. NIL is a little bit different, but I, I am certainly going to be very, like very interested, <laughs> excuse me, to hear from Dabo and to see how that Clemson program works because as much as the media kind of portrays Dabo as the fun guy, the family first guy and everything like that, he has some pretty strict policies in place about what student athletes in that program can do and what they can't do, what they should do and what they can't. And I think those, if you want to be successful in this era and you want players to market themselves and you want players to be able to make as much money as possible, which is important for recruiting pitches later on, then you have to kind of loosen up those restrictions. And I'll be very, I'm very compelled to see how Dabo kind of adapts to this new era. Cause I think more than anybody, he's been outspoken, as you said, about things like this in a way that might be perceived as negative for the student athlete. And that's completely shifted uh, with this policy going into effect. Talking with Chris Hummer, national college football writer for us at 24 seven sports.com. All right, Chris, I've already been asked. We've got a few weeks until we have the sec media days, college football media days around the country cranking up in the coming weeks. But first request for my preseason sec ballot for the college football season that is upon us. We'll start with the sec East, get your thoughts on my picks uh, this will be for 247sports.com. You've probably even been asked to submit your ballot as well there for the for our company. But uh, we'll start in the SEC East. My order of predicted finish that I went with, Georgia, Florida, Missouri, Kentucky, South Carolina. No, excuse me, Tennessee, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt. What do you think of that order there with the dogs on top? You must be reading my mind because I think that's exactly <laughs> what I would have had. With the exception of perhaps flipping Kentucky and Missouri, I think I agree. I think Missouri is going to be really good this year. But if Kentucky's offense 
with the new kind of coordinator change, a shift at quarterback, if it can be even average this year, I think that Kentucky team has a chance to be really good, eight or nine wins. So that, that's the only place I would have any, like, maybe disagreement. But I think you nailed it. I think South Carolina's going to be pretty bad, uh, unless, like, Kevin Harris is just a monster again. I think Vanderbilt just needs some time to rebuild. And I have a lot of questions about Tennessee, so I'll, I'll be curious to see how that goes. But, yeah, I think you got the, nailed the order there. Over in the SEC West, I went Alabama, LSU, Texas A&M. Then I came with Ole Miss in the fourth spot with Lane. Auburn fifth, Mississippi State sixth, and I went Arkansas seventh in the West. What say you? I I don't want to agree with you every time, but. We're on the same wavelength. I think wow. LSU is a really volatile. Yeah, I, I I legitimately think LSU is a playoff kind of dark horse sleeper type team. I think Roster. they can make it there. Yeah. I yeah, I have legitimate questions about Texas A&M's offense. Um, I think people are going to focus on quarterback, and I think that is a concern with Haynes King likely taking over there. But that offensive line is replacing four mm-hmm. starters. That was one of the better units in the country a year ago. It's a big reason why Isaiah Spiller and that deep stable of running backs looks really good. If that unit's better, maybe we can have a conversation that Texas A&M defense, for my money, is going to be the best in the SEC next year. Like They're going to be nasty, so I could look really dumb saying that, but I just think LSU's ceiling is a little higher right now. And I love the old Miss pick over Auburn. I think Auburn's got some rebuilding to do this year. And I think old Miss is going to spoil a couple teams' season. That team is going to be dangerous. Who do you have as your preseason SEC player of the year? Oh, that's a great question. Um, probably JT Daniels, honestly. Oh, JT Daniels. Yeah, I think so. That's that, that, that's the, that's the pick. I think that, I think that'll be the preseason pick. I think he will be the preseason pick when all the ballots and these associate, uh, various polls are, are tabulated. I went with Will Anderson of Alabama. Now look, defensive player. I know. But I just think he is capable of putting up the kind of insane numbers uh, that could put him in that place. I don't expect him to win it, but that was my pick, Will Anderson. I actually thought you were going to go in another defensive player's direction and go with DeMarvin Leal. But I, I do yeah, agree, I Will Anderson. Yeah, I thought about Leal of A&M. Yeah, he could be that guy too. But from a numbers perspective, I think you're totally correct. I think Will Anderson and that Alabama scheme is often put in a position off the edge more frequently to kind of create that pressure, whereas DeMarvin's asked to play the run a little bit more just because of how Mike Elko structures his defense. So, yeah, I think Will Anderson's a great sleeper pick. He led the country in pressures last year. He was dynamic as a true freshman, and if he gets a little bigger, gets home a little quicker, maybe gets adds a little bit more weight, which I think he's done this offseason. He could be dominant, and I, I don't think that's a bad pick at all. I went with Elijah Drinkwitz as my preseason pick as the SEC Coach of the Year. He just about got there, I guess, in 2020, but I'm going to go with him here. Yeah, I think that's a really smart pick. I, I, I really think Missouri's primed to be very, very good this year. I would not be shocked if Missouri ended up ahead of um, Florida as well. And I feel the same way about Kentucky. I think Florida's going to be pretty volatile this year, potentially. The talent's there, but I've just got a lot of questions about how you replace what they lost offensively. And I'm not even referring to Kyle Trask. I'm talking about the receivers on the outside along with Kyle Pitts and that defense under Todd Grantham. So uh, I think Missouri, maybe we're all just sipping too much Kool-Aid, but 
They brought in some really <laughs> great transfers. Um, Drinkowitz had that offense rolling last year. That defense was sneakily good a season ago. I think Alabama fans probably don't remember this, but Missouri did the best job of anybody last year defending Alabama, at least when you talk about week one. So, yeah, I really like Missouri in that pick for sure. Well, we've really enjoyed having you on the program over these last five years, Chris, and uh, the pleasure's been ours. Uh, We've had a lot of fun with it, and uh, we always look forward to your great stuff there at 247sports.com. Thanks a lot, Chris. Yeah, anytime. Thanks so much. There he goes. Chris Hummer, National College Football Writer for 247sports.com. My overall pick to win the Southeastern Conference, by the way, of course, I went with Alabama. You'll see some Georgia love, I think, in a lot of these preseason polls. But, uh, I mean, can you really, really make that pick? I guess you could say Georgia's due, right? Georgia's due, but uh, I'm going to go with Alabama as the SEC overall champion. We're going to go to a break. When we come back, we'll have more of a Thursday edition of Southern Fried Sports right here on Tide 100.9 FM right after this. Idol. You're listening to Southern Fried Sports with BamaOnline.com senior analyst Travis Ryer on your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. There's no way that's true. Not for 10-year-old TR. That can't be true. Back around 78. She wasn't born in 1945 when I was 10 years old and listening to this one. 10 or 12, I guess. Debbie Harry, also known as Blondie, 76 years old today. You know, and this is Rapture, which a lot of folks will tell you, as far as mainstream music, pop music, at least even somewhat featuring what would become known around the world and in popular culture as rap, this might have been the origins of that in terms of pop music. Debbie Harry. 76 years old today. Just can't get that through my head. Can't get that through my 10-year-old head. Back around 78, that's for sure. 205-342-9904. That is the Peter Brook Chocolate Tier Studio Line. If you'd like to jump on board with us, we are wide open through these final two segments. Thanks again to Chris Hummer, National College Football Writer for 247sports.com, talking some NIL with us. Chris, probably in too much agreement with my preseason poll work for the SEC, Dan is good for his health. He'll probably be disappointed. Probably matched up too much with my picks. We pretty much had him pick for pick in both the SEC East and the SEC West. He went with the conservative quarterback pick as his SEC player of the year, which I, I got no argument with that. 
if JT Daniels is what he's supposed to be, and more importantly for Georgia, what he needs to be for that Georgia offense, very, very easy to envision the USC transfer as the SEC player of the year, or quarterback in general. Bryce Young can envision a scenario where he's that guy from Alabama. And then you've got some flyers. You've got some sort of wild cards in that. What about Matt Corral? I mean, if we're going to talk about quarterbacks in the SEC capable of putting up huge numbers in 2021, you got to have Matt Corral up there. Yeah. Yeah, he lost some key weapons, both at wide receiver and tight end. But Jerry and Ely back. Jonathan Mingo back at wide receiver. John Rice Plumley. We're still trying to figure out exactly what his situation is going to be with Ole Miss football, but you could see him as sort of that all-purpose slot guy used in a way like an Amari Cooper was at Alabama, move him around, line him up in different spots, get John Rice Plumley involved in that offense. Got really good depth at running back. Got a veteran offensive line coming back. Matt Corral could be that dude. I have trust issues, though, still with Matt. I remember the Arkansas game from last year when it seemed like all you had to do was play cover three and play zone and let Matt just throw you the ball. That's what he did, what, five, six, seven times against Arkansas last season? But then if you're an Alabama fan or media member you remember that night in Oxford where he didn't have much of a problem now look you go back to that game what doesn't get talked about enough was that Ole Miss ran the football pretty much at will when you get it going both ways like that it's going to be tough on any defense and that was certainly the case for the Alabama defense in October of 2020 over there in Oxford we're going to step aside for a final break we come back We'll put a wrap on a Thursday edition of Southern Fried Sports right here on Tide 100.9 FM right after this. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A warm, humid afternoon. Scattered showers and thunderstorms around through tonight. The high today, 88. The low tonight, 70. Tomorrow, cloudy. Periods of rain likely. Maybe a thunderstorm. The high, 81. Saturday, partly to mostly sunny and less humid. The high, 85. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 80 degrees in Tuscaloosa. The flagship station for Alabama Crimson Tide football. Alabama touchdown. Only on Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. I'm in the fumble. Sports right here on Tide 100.9 FM. How much stock 
you putting into that uh, 20-2 win over the New York Mets last night if you're an Atlanta Braves fan? Need to see a little more, don't you? 20 runs are great. Maybe spread them out over a couple games. Ozzy Albee, he's went nuts last night in that win over the Metropolitans. For all of their struggles, the Braves still lingering around there in the NL East. Been in that two to three games under 500 sort of mode, it seems like, from the start of the season. But still just four and a half back. 41 and 35 so far. Good enough to give you a two-game lead over your nearest competitor in the NL East. That's where the New York Mets sit right now. Two games clear of the Washington Nationals, the Braves third there in the NL East. Just 21 and 21 at home. A lot of 500 baseball in that NL East. I look forward to checking out the Phillies next week in Chicago. I guess I'll get to see Bryce Harper. Weather. I'm a little worried about the weather up there. The advanced forecasts. We know how much those can uh, those can change, though, from day to day. That's the hope, anyway. Check out Bryce Harper and the Phillies. Next Thursday night at Wrigley Field, and then uh, that next afternoon, I have the St. Louis Cardinals up on the north side taking on the Cubbies. The Cubbies, 205-342-9904 is the Peterbrook Chocolatier studio line as we wind down a Thursday edition of Southern Fried Sports. Coming up tomorrow on the program, we'll put a bow on five years of Southern Fried Sports here on Tide 100.9 FM. You know who our final guest is going to be. Of course, it's going to be Pops. We'll have Charlie Potter, my colleague there from BamaOnline.com. Plenty of Alabama stuff to go through. With Charlie. Pops, by the way, we may or may not have footage of the aforementioned road rage incident from the family vacay down in the St. Augustine, Florida area from last week. We may or may not have audio, Jacob Harrison. I may have to forward you that audio so that we can play it on tomorrow's program. Pops admonishing his aggressor. In St. Augustine traffic last week. <laughs> oh, Pops. I mean, if we're going to go out, we might as well go out with a bang with Pops tomorrow uh, Tomorrow on the program. So we'll have Pops for you. Uh, we'll continue to track this NIL stuff. Again, thought there'd be a little more fireworks than we've had to this point. I know the suggestion has been made that maybe you need a NIL tracker for all these deals, but... Um, not sure we're to that point yet, and I'm sure if there is one, it will be at 247sports.com. We got a tracker for everything. Scholarship tracker, commitment tracker, transfer portal tracker. Yeah, we'll have that NIL tracker up before you know it. That's going to do it for a Thursday edition of the program. The lunch whistle on this Thursday. Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa, Government Plaza. Great, great folks there. Frank does an outstanding job with that crew at Heat Pizza Bar. Great customer service and the very best pie you're going to put in your mouth anywhere. Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa. Government Plaza until 11 a.m. on Friday. Have a great rest of your Thursday, everybody.